I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Numbers chapters 28 through 30. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In Numbers chapter 28, Israel's preparing themselves to enter into Canaan and possess the land at this point where we are in Numbers. It's important for them to have an impeccable relationship with God here. Their prescribed offerings to God are restated here in Numbers chapters 28 and 29. That's to keep before them their dependence on God. We begin with the daily offerings of Numbers chapter 28, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my offerings, made by fire as a sweet aroma to me, you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. And you shall say to them, This is the offering made by fire, which you shall offer to the Lord, two male lambs in their first year without blemish, day by day as a regular burnt offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer in the evening. And one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour is a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil. It is a regular burnt offering which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And its drink offering shall be one-fourth of a hen for each lamb. In a holy place you shall pour out the drink to the Lord as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening as the morning grain offering and its drink offering. You shall offer it as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Well, every morning and evening a lamb had to be sacrificed. This was a communal offering made on behalf of the people. It's a restatement of the same sacrifices that were specified back in Exodus chapter 29, verses 38 through 43. And that was on the occasion of the consecration of the newly erected tabernacle back then. Verse 4 specifies, The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer in the evening. Now that's two lambs a day. Why, you say? Well, Exodus 29:43 says, And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. Then verses 9 and 10 talk about the Sabbath offerings. Verse 9, And on the Sabbath day, two lambs in their first year without blemish, and two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering, mixed with oil, with its drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath, besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering. Everyone dwelling among the Israelites is required by this statute to observe the Sabbath according to Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 through 18. Again, this is a communal offering made on behalf of the people. It involved the sacrifice of two more lambs on each regular Sabbath day. This additional offering on the Sabbath is specified here for the first time. It's interesting to note that the Sabbath day was not a day of corporate worship for the Hebrews, but it was a complete day of rest. Then we have the monthly offerings in Numbers chapter 28, verses 11 through 15. Verse 11. At the beginnings of your months you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year without blemish. Three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour is a grain offering mixed with oil. 
For each bull, two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour is a grain offering mixed with oil for the one ram. And one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil is a grain offering for each lamb as a burnt offering of sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Their drink offering shall be half a hen of wine for a bull, one-third of a hen for a ram, and one-fourth of a hen for a lamb. This is the burnt offering for each month throughout the months of the year. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering to the Lord shall be offered, besides the regular burnt offerings and its drink offering. The inclusion of a new moon offering only appears in this chapter. It's the first time we're seeing it. The new moon began a new month for Israel. This communal offering is placed on a par with the other major festivals with its sacrifice of a larger number of valuable animals, two bulls, a ram, and seven sheep, and the addition of a sacrificial goat as a sin offering. Incidentally, the ancient calendar was an observational calendar based upon the appearance of a new moon to indicate the first day of the successive month. If you looked out your tent window and saw this sacrifice taking place, the old month was gone and the new one had begun. Now, if you want more information regarding the observational calendar, then I've provided a chart right here on the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today. And there's the article also can be found under the topic section of BibleTrack.org on the main page. In the remaining verses of Numbers 28 and all of 29, we find specifications regarding all the seven feasts or the festivals that were specified, first of all, back in Leviticus chapter 23. If you go to Leviticus 23 and look at my notes there, you'll see a complete chart of those festivals. So Numbers chapter 28 verse 16 specifies the Passover. On the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord. Well, here it's just given one verse. If you must know more, then look at the festival chart. There's a link for it on the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today. And also, you can find that under the topic section. Incidentally, with regard to the Passover day, the Passover day originally on Nisan 14 was not a no-work holiday. That's actually the day that they slaughtered the lamb, the Passover lamb. Then beginning in verse 17 down to verse 25, we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread offerings. Verse 17. And on the fifteenth day of this month is the feast. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. And you shall present an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year. Be sure they are without blemish. Their grain offering shall be a fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephah you shall offer for a bull, and two-tenths for a ram." You shall offer one-tenth of an ephah for each of the seven lambs. Also, one goat is a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall offer these besides the burnt offering of the morning, which is for a regular burnt offering. In this manner, you shall offer the food of the offering made by fire daily for seven days as a sweet aroma to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. And on the seventh day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is celebrated during the seven days after Passover. We first saw it in Exodus chapter 12, verses 14 through 20. This festival marked the beginning of the barley harvest, which was in the March-April time frame. Unleavened bread was made from the newly harvested grain without adding yeast and was eaten as the first sign of coming harvest that year. 
The first day of the seven-day festival and the seventh day, both those days, first and seventh, were no work days. On the first day, two young bullocks, one ram, seven lambs of the first year were offered along with a goat. This communal offering falls on the heels of the individual Passover lamb slain by each family the previous day. Then we have the offerings for the Feast of Weeks, or otherwise known as the Feast of Pentecost, in Numbers chapter 28, verses 26 through 31. Verse 26. Also, on the day of the first fruits, when you bring a new grain offering to the Lord at your Feast of Weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year, with a grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each bull, two-tenths for the one ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs, also one kid of the goats to make atonement for you." Be sure they are without blemish. You shall present them with their drink offerings beside the regular burnt offering with its grain offering. Well, this festival is also called the Day of First Fruits, celebrating the end of the barley harvest and was also known as Pentecost. It fell 50 days after the regular Sabbath day of the week following the Passover, making it always a Sunday. That 50 caused it to inherit the name Pentecost. In the Greek language, that was to indicate its reference to the Passover. The Hebrew word for weeks here is the same word used by Daniel in referencing the weeks of years in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, to put this into perspective, this day fell exactly seven sevens, or 49 days after the Feast of Firstfruits. Both of them occurred on a Sunday. So, to call it the Feast of Sevens, rather than the Feast of Weeks, gives us a better idea of how it got its name. It gets a lot of attention in Scripture. Exodus chapter 23, 16, Leviticus 23, 15 through 21, Deuteronomy 16, 9 through 12. You may also recall the big happenings in Acts chapter 2 on this very day when the Holy Spirit was manifested and the church in Jerusalem was established. This festival was the first big gathering of Jews after the crucifixion which had taken place on the Passover day. Another communal offering was made consisting of two young bullocks, one ram, seven lambs of the first year, along with a goat. Then we have the offerings for the Feast of Trumpets in Numbers chapter 29. The first six verses, let's begin reading with verse number 1. And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. For you, it is a day of blowing the trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord, one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year without blemish. Their grain offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats is a sin offering to make atonement for you. Besides the burnt offering with its grain offering for the new moon, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering, and their drink offerings according to their ordinance, as a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So on the first day of the seventh month, the trumpets were sounded according to Leviticus chapter 23, verses 23 through 25. This was the first month of the civil year, and it was a no-work day. We had a few verses dedicated to these trumpets back in Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Offerings were the same as for the first two feasts, except that only one young bull was brought to this one. Next, we have the offerings for the Day of Atonement in verses 7 through 11. Verse 7. 
On the tenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall afflict your souls. You shall not do any work. You shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a sweet aroma, one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year. Be sure they are without blemish. Their grain offering shall be of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the one ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also one kid of the goats as a sin offering, besides the sin offering for atonement, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering, and their drink offerings. So on the tenth day of the seventh month, the Jews observed the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. This was when all the sin of Israel was put away. We see that in Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 through 34. Its observance is also specified in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 26 to 32. This was the only occasion in the year when the high priest could enter the most holy place, and the whole congregation fast, we see in verse 7. That's where they're told to afflict their souls. That's the, the Bible speak for fasting. That phrase is used to indicate a fast in Isaiah chapter 58. They were also to refrain from work on this day, as it was a no-work day. The Ark of the Covenant disappeared prior to Jerusalem's fall in 586 B.C., and in Jesus' day there was no mercy seat in the Holy of Holies of the Temple. We're told by extra-biblical sources that there was just a big rock in there. Today's Jews don't even have a temple. All that remains of this special day, this day known as Yom Kippur, all that remains is the fasting. No sacrificing of animals is done on that day. It's still observed by most practicing Jews, but quite differently, you'll see, from the pattern of observance specified here in Scripture. Then we have the offerings for the Feast of Tabernacles specified in verses 12 through 40 of chapter 29. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work, and you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord, thirteen young bulls, two rams, and fourteen lambs in their first year. They shall be without blemish. Their grain offering shall be of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each of the thirteen bulls, two-tenths for each of the two rams, and one-tenth for each of the fourteen lambs. Also one kid of the goats as a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the second day, present twelve young bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs in their first year, without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance. Also one kid of the goats is a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, with its grain offering and their drink offerings. On the third day, present eleven bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance. Also one goat is a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the fourth day, present ten bulls, two rams, and fourteen lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. Also one kid of the goats is a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the fifth day, present nine bulls, two rams, and fourteen lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. Also one goat is a sin offering, 
besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the sixth day, present eight bulls, two rams, and fourteen lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. Also, one goat is a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the seventh day, present seven bulls, two rams, and fourteen lambs in the first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. Also, one goat is a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the eighth day, you shall have a sacred assembly. You shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, as a sweet aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish. And their grain offerings and their drink offerings for the bull, for the ram, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance. Also, one goat is a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. These you shall present to the Lord at your appointed feast, besides your vowed offerings and your free will offerings, as your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, as your drink offerings and your peace offerings. So Moses told the children of Israel everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. Well, here's another no-work day. On the 15th day of the seventh month, it's also referred to here as the Feast of Booths, or by its Hebrew designation, Sukkot. This was the final harvest of the year and occurred in the autumn prior to the onset of the rainy season, marking the beginning of the new agricultural year. This seven-day festival was also referred to as the Feast of Ingathering in Exodus chapter 23, verse 16. It's symbolized by the construction of booths. The first day of this festival was an old work day. Offered were 13 young bullocks, two rams, and 14 lambs along with a goat. Over the seven-day period, there are substantially more sacrifices made to commemorate this annual festival. We find more information about this festival in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 33 to 43. Now, of special interest here is Leviticus chapter 23, verses 42 and 43. There it says, You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So they all stayed in these booths for seven days each year during this festival to commemorate their wanderings after their exodus from Egypt. Hey, that's a camping trip every year. This was also the day selected for the dedication of Solomon's temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 65. When the exiles returned to Israel in Nehemiah chapter 8, they determined to observe this festival. Oh, one more thing about this festival. It will be kept in perpetuity, even after the millennium begins, as we will see when we get over to Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. To give you a preview, here's what that verse says. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. All right, we change to another subject entirely when we get to Numbers chapter 30. This chapter is all about keeping your vows. Verse 1. 
Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house in her youth, and her father hears her vow and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will release her, because her father overruled her. If indeed she takes a husband, while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself, and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears, then her vows shall stand, and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day that he hears it, he shall make void her vow which she took and what she uttered with her lips by which she bound herself, and the Lord will release her. Also, any vow of a widow or a divorced woman by which she has bound herself shall stand against her, if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath, and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatever proceeded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it shall not stand. Her husband has made them void and the Lord will release her. Every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may make it void. Now, if her husband makes no response whatever to her from day to day, then he confirms all her vows or all the agreements that bind her. He confirms them, because he made no response to her on the day that he heard them. But if he does make them void after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt." These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife and between a father and his daughter in her youth and in her father's house. Well, we first looked at the value of vows back in Leviticus chapter 27. Here in Numbers 30, we see some criteria regarding vows. A vow given in Israel was a very, very serious matter. Note the declaration regarding a vow by a man in verse 2. It says, He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. We see the subordinate position of women in Israel back then in verses 3 through 16. If a woman under her father's care uttered a vow, her father could void that vow if done so that day. Likewise, the husband of a married woman could void a vow. Widows and divorced women must stand by their own vows. In verse 9, we see that. We find a warning regarding vows in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 through 23. It says, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That which is gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform... For you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you've promised with your mouth. Notice what Solomon said about these voluntary vows in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. He said, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow, 
than to vow and not pay. Now, if you recall, Samuel was Hannah's vow to God in 1 Samuel chapter 1. That was prior to her conception. She subsequently presented Samuel to the high priest for service to God. And by the way, who can forget Jephthah's foolish, unscriptural vow in Judges chapter 11? You'll notice that offering a human as a burnt offering was not part of the regulations of Leviticus chapter 27. What Jephthah did was clearly a violation of the law of Moses. And while, by the way, completely contrary to God's law, it does show us how very seriously the Hebrews took their vows. To accentuate this point on vows, consider the vow that Joshua was deceived into accepting with regard to the Gibeonites in Joshua chapter 9. Centuries later, under King David's rule in 1 Samuel chapter 21, Israel there experiences a drought from God because King Saul, years earlier, had disregarded the vow that Joshua had made regarding these Gibeonites. As I said, a vow in Israel was a very serious matter with God. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.